Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your host, Doug. And with me in our virtual studio are Erica, Elliot, and Tiff. Hello. Hello. And in the background, keeping it real, as usual, is Damien. Hello. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about, as you may be able to tell from my background, the infamous Spartacus letter. Um, for those who don't know, uh, an anonymous letter showed up online and started going viral on social media. And it was basically uh, a letter written... Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It's obvious the person who wrote it has a scientific background, to say the least, and is very well-versed in all the issues surrounding COVID. And it kind of goes through everything. Like everything from like PCR tests to vaccines to COVID itself to uh, the ventilators, all that kind of stuff. It really goes through the whole gamut and is basically laying down what the science actually says. I shouldn't put it in, in quotation marks because it actually is going into the science, unlike what the mainstream media will tell you is the science most of the time. Um, and it is well worth a read. We have it up on SOT.net. Um, it was taken down shortly after it went up, um, the, P the original PDF, um, but it was uh, copied to multiple blogs, multiple different sites. It's back up. You can find mega links out there that have the PDF. <clears throat> so you can find it, and it is well worth a read. Um, it is long, but it is definitely worth uh, going through to kind of see where everything is at. Um I don't even know where to start with this thing because there's so much in here. I will say that the beginning of it is quite um, very biochemistry-y. It has it's a dense. lot of, It's very dense. Yeah, very scientific. Um, a lot of it kind of did go over my head. Um, but you still get the gist, even though they're going into, you know, like calcium channels and redox reactions and all that kind of thing. You do, uh, it still is, um, you can follow it. Um, and I will say stick with it because it does get into things that aren't quite so science heavy um, and gets into much of the, uh, the politics of it, the treatments, all that sort of thing. <clears throat> a lot of stuff in here isn't going to necessarily be new to anybody who's paying attention, but a lot of it actually is. Um, one thing that I found uh, quite fascinating actually is that they say that... Um, COVID uh, is a blood and blood vessel disease. It's not a disease of the lungs. And that SARS-CoV-2 actually infects the lining of human blood vessels and causes them to leak into the lungs, which is where you get the, uh, the, the, the lung problems and why people are being put onto ventilators and things like that. Um, what did you guys think? <laughs> I was surprised by that part too, Doug, because I've been hearing people say that and didn't really understand what they meant. But um, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting considering the whole putting people on ventilators and it essentially killing them Yeah, as a result. So, and then all the alternative treatments, like things like NAC even now being you know, kind of scrutinized by the FDA and possibly mm -hmm. being removed as a vitamin supplement, you know, it just paints the picture that as all these alternatives come to light, they just are completely suppressed. 
Yeah. Uh, the the author, but basically like summarizing and laying it all out in very comprehensive formula kind of thing. And none of or a small part of it is kind of new to me at least in looking at this for you know the past eighteen months or whatever. Like, but what the author has done is is clearly they have a scientific background. And they have a good understanding of how the body works. But what they've done is they've taken a lot of the research, a lot of the literature. Elliot seems to be having some audio problems here. We're losing you there, Elliot. Sorry, I don't think I was fully plugged in. Can you hear me yeah. now? Can hear yeah. you, yep. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, what, what I was trying to say was that um, basically the author, clearly they have a scientific background. They've synthesized a lot of ho comp very complex information into one uh, kind of comprehensive format so that it's all in one place. So some of it is is kind of is new or some of it is, is not very well known. Other bits are uh, fairly well known, but the way that they've put it together, I think is really understandable at least for someone who has a little bit of a basis in biology, a bit to understand it, it might be difficult for like the average reader, let's say. Um, on, on the topic of, of, of COVID is, is this kind of vascular or cardiovascular disease. It, it's, it's, it's really no wonder uh, why the, the research demonstrates quite clearly that anyone with underlying vascular dysfunction or cardiovascular problems, uh, any comorbidities, so that can be diabetes, that can be obesity, that can be um, any, any kind of cardiovascular, cardiometabolic condition, um, they are substantially more likely to die from COVID, like substantially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, like looking at actually how COVID works in the body it, it is basically attacking the blood vessels, right? Um, and like you said, Doug, one of the, the primary kind of outcomes of that or the secondary outcome, the secondary effect of a damaged cardiovascular system is, is that you end up with, with these pulmonary issues. So this lung problem, but it turns out that um, because of the kind of pathophysiology of this condition, uh, one of the worst possible things that doctors have been doing um, and is still in some of the guidelines is to, is to intubate these people. So to give them exogenous oxygen um, in, in high amounts um, and in very basic terms, what that is doing is um, is speeding up the amount of oxidative stress and oxidative damage that is occurring in the cells. Um, because what is, is fundamentally happening in, in COVID, particularly end-stage COVID, is that people are suffering from such severe oxidative stress, their antioxidant system is just completely depleted. Um, and when there are lots of what are called free radicals floating around, as is the case in like end-stage COVID, then giving oxygen, like giving, injecting oxygen into that environment is one of the worst possible things that one can do because oxygen is highly reactive in and of itself. So that just increases the oxidative free radicals and causes further damage to the lungs. And this is very much kind of uh, substantiated by the data, which shows that when you intubate uh, COVID patients, the large majority of them die. Yeah. Right, the large majority of them die, and the way that they very much kind of made their argument, it's 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 impossible to to kind of refute in that respect. Um, and uh, and and what their point is is that because there's this misunderstanding of the pathophysiology of COVID, they see it as a pulmonary condition. They're um, initiating all of the wrong kind of medications or wrong treatments, so that the the outcomes are far worse than they ever would have been, mm -hmm. right? Ever would have been. 
because there's so many assumptions and, and wrong thinking, and it's based on kind of faulty data, old, 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 old data. Um, essentially, what you're looking at now is that a lot of people who've died have died unnecessarily. They've died because of the medical intervention, not necessarily because of the virus. Yeah. It also makes sense in terms of, I remember around the beginning when there was a lot of people out there talking about vitamin C, IV vitamin C. Uh, you don't hear much about it now, but um, at the time, there was a lot of people who were talking about how COVID was being fairly successfully treated with IV vitamin C. Well, IV vitamin C, I mean, that's that's an antioxidant. And one of the things that the, he points out in the Spartacus letter is that that is really what people should be being treated with is antioxidants because it is such a oxidative stress rich environment. He mentions N-acetylcysteine, melatonin, fluvoxamine, budosonide. I don't know what half these things are, but anyway, he, he, they're all antioxidants essentially that um, should be used um, in these in this kind of end stage COVID and they're not being used. Uh, instead, they're basically relying on vaccines and intubation. Yeah, well, indeed. Another Sorry. thing about the the treatment, especially putting people on ventilators, a lot of these people who were put on ventilators, I mean, that's bad enough, but they're also turned prone and are lying on their stomachs, basically in bed while being ventilated. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make any sense. If someone is having extreme difficulty breathing at no point, like if it's an emergency situation, would you say, here, lie on your stomach? Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. will help you breathe a little bit easier. I mean, if you're lying <laughs> on your stomach, your diaphragm is not moving the way it normally would if you are your upper part of your body is unfettered. Mm. So that's one point. And another point is um, the treatment, along with being intubate, intubated, was the remdesivir, which has really, really horrific yeah. effects on the kidneys and can cause fluid buildup in the lungs as well. So they're having all this fluid buildup in the lungs. They can't breathe because of the remdesivir. And also they're intubated and or lying on their stomach while being intubated. It's just madness the way these people were treated. Yeah. yeah, indeed. Um, and on that topic, uh, if with one one of the the problems with um with with COVID is is I mean the way that they have they've described it at least in in this letter, uh, the way that other researchers have described it as well is is a, a vascular endo endothelitis or endothelitis. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it basically uh, an inflammation of the vascular endothelium. So the, the ACE2 receptor, this, this receptor, uh, which is basically involved in uh, the renin-angiotensin uh, system, which is involved in regulating blood pressure, um, et cetera. Uh, the, the way that the, the virus is essentially like um, acting in, in the body, it activates this ACE2 receptor, right? Now, when this happens, um, essentially what you end up with is major uh, inflammation in in the in the in the lining of the blood vessels all throughout the body okay now when you have this problem with with uh, the blood vessel lining becoming inflamed you end up with that that can be one of the things which can lead to blood clots that can be one of the things which uh, slows down um uh, or, or reduces one's ability for or capacity for circulation so anyone with like underlying circulatory disorders diabetes um heart disease 
etc. Uh, these people are going to be a lot more susceptible to um, to COVID first of all. Um, but looking at the 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 effect that this has on circulation, well, if you also take a drug which is known to cause circulatory issues, if you end up with water retention. That is one of the things that affects the circulation circulatory system. And, you know, that that's going to put a, a major a potential major burden on the lungs. And so looking at this as like a, as like a, a viral pneumonia in comparison to a viral kind of endothelial dysfunction, um, it, it kind of shows that the drugs that they've been prescribing have potentially been making things like 10 times worse than they ordinarily ever would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really interesting is that when people end up with the with the vascular dysfunction, with the problem with circulation, um, what ends up happening is they are less able to generate a, a, a chemical which is involved in in, um, in blood vessel dilation. It's called nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide is also one of the things which is really useful as an antiviral for various reasons. Nitric oxide is one of the things that's considered very healthy. Um, now, when someone loses the ability to make nitric oxide, not only because they not kind of pump blood around the 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 body properly but the the vascular system kind of collapses you can end up with severe thrombosis which is what many people die of they found that in covid cases um people end up with just massive amounts of micro blood clots all throughout the lungs it's one of the things that happens in the vaccines as well um but all all of this can can be related to kind of poor antioxidant status because on antioxidants vitamin c nac etc these things are responsible for kind of protecting nitric oxide nitric oxide production in the vascular system but also uh, there's there's a depletion of an amino acid called arginine right now arginine interestingly enough this wasn't mentioned in the in the uh, article the authors might be familiar with it though there's a study based in uh, i think it was iran or somewhere around the, the middle east they were using uh, several grams of arginine um, with the concept that if they were to give arginine, arginine being a precursor for nitric oxide synthesis in the in the in the vascular system, giving uh, uh, arginine could increase the amount of nitric oxide, protect the vascular system, protect the circulation, and therefore allow someone to not be uh, uh, so affected by COVID in terms of uh, mortality. And what they found was that it was like it was a massively effective treatment. So they were. They were they were giving them massive amounts, like several grams of arginine every single day. Um, and it was it was extremely effective. Um, so it goes to show that like what they are talking about, the way that they're laying out the pathophysiology of COVID, like it has been demonstrated that similar concepts working with medicines and nutrients, which are supporting this overall circulatory antioxidant, anti-inflammatory kind of effect in the body. They are substantially more effective than any of the drugs that they're currently or have been using for COVID. How many people out there know that this is a vascular disease and not a pulmonary disease? Anybody know that? Not many, I would assume. I wouldn't think so. Like, you know, it hasn't been something that I've encountered very often and I am reading about it fairly frequently. So yeah, I, I think it's just like, you know, right from the ground up, People don't know anything about this disease. It's all hype. Yeah, it seems that way. Um... Well, one other thing that I thought he, that uh, was mentioned in the Spartacus, Spartacus letter that I thought was very interesting was he was talking about how the trials that they've done for ivermectin and HCQ and those sorts of things are actually 
useless trials. Because what he says is that because like antivirals, apparently any antiviral, the trials have not been successful in showing any kind of success. Because by the time they actually dose the people, you know, they get sick people, by the time they give them a dose, there's no virus left in their body. It's just the effects of the disease itself that are what's actually causing the problems. So at that point, it's like you're not um, actually attacking any viruses. So therefore, the antivirus, antivirals aren't um, showing any success. What they need to be doing is using them post-exposure um, as a prophylactic. You know, when the virus is actually getting into the body, that's when you're taking, you're, you're taking the antivirals. Because so much, you know, um, what does he say? If someone is about 10 days post-exposure and has already been symptomatic for five days, there is hardly any virus left in their bodies, only cellular damage and derangement that has initiated the hyperinflammatory response. So I thought that that was pretty interesting, and it kind of puts all those studies in a new light because it, it always did seem like there was a lot of conflicting information on things like ICQ and ivermectin and things like that, but it kind of makes sense um, given that uh, those things should really be used as uh, prophylactic. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, he's I mean, what they're basically saying is that it, throughout the past 18 months, what the research has basically demonstrated is that what we know is COVID, as in severe COVID infection, is that is primarily like a post-infectious uh, hyperinflammation, hmm. like a, a cytokine storm, a severe uh, set of, of kind of cascading inflammation and oxidative stress, which is as a result of the prior viral infection. But it's not the virus that does this per se. It's the virus that triggers this. But there's people, for instance, like we we're talking about, you know, the, like they mentioned in this in this article is that the vast majority of people like we don't there's no one who knows how many people have had COVID. I mean, there's there's no one who knows, but mm -hmm. it's almost certain that there are vast amounts more than are currently predicted you know, in terms of people who've actually had it and recovered from it. The only, the, you know, the only signs that someone may have it, I mean, it may literally be the sniffles. It may be completely asymptomatic that someone has it and deals with it and, and is perfectly fine. The people who get sick from it, like, here's the thing. They usually have multiple other conditions that affect, you know, that are involving already underlying inflammation. So their immune system say they're unable to properly turn down inflammation or they've got high kind of resident levels of inflammation. They've got high levels of oxidative stress. They've got low levels of vitamin C, low levels of antioxidants already. They've got poor control of their immune function. They may have autoimmunity. They've got uh, circulatory problems. So it's like these people, what, what we're seeing as like severe COVID is basically post-COVID severe inflammation. Yet it's being treated, like you said, Doug, they will give them then antivirals, but they're, they're essentially saying this is far too late. You're not dealing with the viral infection anymore. In fact, the treatment protocol needs to be entirely different mm -hmm. from giving something like an antiviral. No, it's about giving an anti-inflammatory and antioxidants mm -hmm. at that point. And, and, you know, that involves nutrients, vitamins, drugs, whatever it is that calms down the inflammation inhibits the immune the, the the immune system or the immune system that's going in overdrive um and essentially trying to restore kind of electrolyte balance and etc cetera, etc cetera. what they're doing is they're treating these people like they've got like a again it's like a, a pulmonary infection mm 
Mm-hmm. Whereas in fact, it's it's a it's a it's like a, a severe kind of viral sepsis. Well, and that's likely why they've why they've not been why they've not been successful in at least in exactly. the Western world or in most of the Western world, and why actually, as a matter of fact, the condition looks far worse than it is in reality. In what sense? You mean because people are struggling breathing and everything like that? It looks a lot worse than it actually is. No, no, I mean the mortality rate. Uh, looks, is, is actually a lot worse than it than it probably would be. So the disease looks a lot more um, like the the virus looks more virulent than it actually is. So in that um, you know if if someone um, so for instance if they get this infection and they get really sick from it, like there's a possibility that they would have recovered from that without hospital intervention. But what they've been doing with direct intervention in the hospitals oftentimes tips them over the edge with the intubation, with the various drugs, with the um, the kind of interventions that they've been doing have been making making it you know actually worse than it than it ordinarily should have been. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is no. <laughs> when you go going to the hospital is essentially a death sentence. Well, I guess it depends what hospital you go to, but that seems to be the case with uh, a lot of people who have lost relatives and things, you mm-hmm. know, in that they will go to the hospital, they'll get put in the ICU, they'll get hooked up to the, to the um, oxygen mask, the, the kind of ventilator, and then they will decline rapidly. Yeah, it's, it's been documented like a uh, very, very common phenomena at this point. If you also factor in that they're, being scared to death that they're going to die from this once they get to the hospital and they're isolated because you know they're on a COVID ward and probably the nurses want to minimize contact or they bundle all their services or only have to go into the room like maybe once or twice per shift and the person is isolated from their families not able to have visitors maybe if they're lucky and if they're still conscious they may be able to get uh, ipad or something and be able to skype with their family or something but the whole treatment yeah is completely barbaric well there was actually a number of um, debunking articles that started floating around after this uh, Spartacus letter started uh, getting some traction. Um, one of them uh, was called, maybe you can pull it up, Damien, it's called Fact Checked, Anonymous, Sp- Anonymous Spartacus COVID Letter Riddled with Misinformation, Basis Claims About Global Conspiracy. And it's like, well... Anyway, he, uh, this author uh, goes into three points that they kind of uh, launched their debunking off of. So among the baseless allegations are the following. One, the COVID pandemic is part of a global conspiracy perpetrated by an international cabal of elites, in quotes, engaged in coordinating a biological attack for the purpose of controlling humanity through nonsensical acts of healthcare theater. Well, yeah. Sounds right to me. Yeah. yeah. Where's the lie? Where's yeah. the lie? Like that, that basically, you know, anybody who's paying attention can tell you that. But no, this is a debunking. Uh, number two, the COVID vaccines contain previously undisclosed mysterious nanoparticles debunked here and here. And those two debunking go to other fact checker pages that are kind of nonsense. But 
the thing is though like that was in the news mm-hmm. there was um in japan they did an analysis of moderna vaccines and they found metallic particles in them um i mean there was i, I don't know there was some other information out there about a, a spanish doctor who got um did an analysis and came out with some kind of number like there's it's 90% graphite or graphene or something like that which clearly isn't true um i'd be interested to actually see the what the spanish uh uh doctor actually did find um or what he said he found because apparently if it if it did have 90% uh graphene in it it would basically be a black liquid like it wouldn't it wouldn't look like it does so th- that's probably untrue but Japan did like it was an actual study and they found metallic particles in the vaccine that were not listed on the uh the ingredients bottle. So yeah, undisclosed mysterious nanoparticles. That's that's true. Um his third point is vaccines have made the SARS-CoV-2 virus more deadly and they debunk that. Well, we've we've done shows on that in the past if you look at our stuff about uh leaky vaccines. Um that very well could be what is happening um that by having these leaky vaccines these not very effective vaccines that allow the virus to go on unimpeded more or less um it allows it to to mutate and it removes the evolutionary pressure to uh make it less virulent so it's able to become more virulent so yeah all those three debunking points are basically i just debunked them i debunked the debunking so there you go like Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say to your third point, for those of us who've actually experienced people getting COVID after we know they've been fully vaccinated, it's like you can't lie with real world information that's being presented. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that alone in of itself. So it just assumes people are dumb. Oh, it's yeah. just one outlier case when we know it's happening. I mean, I've seen it in seven people I know who've been fully mm. vaccinated, who came down and tested positive and were sick with it. So to me, and of course, you know, I'm a little bit different than the average person. It's pretty obvious that the, the vaccines are leaking and that you're having these breakthrough cases. I mean, and I'm sure everybody is seeing at least one incidence of that in everyday real life, you know, yeah. so it kind of assumes that all people are getting their information from the mainstream media and they only know what they're being, being told. They don't believe what's mm-hmm. in front of their eyes. They're not reading any other sources or anything like that. Like all those fact che- checker sites are exactly like that. It's like, they're not actually mm-hmm. checking facts. They're pushing a narrative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. the letter, sorry, did you, no, I, I was I was just gonna say, um, like the just just some more on the letter because it there, there's multiple sections to this thing and it's it's a very long read. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is basically laying out like what is COVID, you know, what causes it, kind of what is the effect in the body, and how does the body respond to that, and then what treatments are available. And then it goes on to an, another two sections. One, one section is looking at the vaccine dangers, the, 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 the potential problems that could be uh, seen when we initiate like a mass vaccination campaign against that. And I mean, this is essentially like the topic of our show 
you know, for the past, <laughs> probably the majority of our shows, we've been spoke, spoke, speaking about the vaccines and the dangers of the vaccines. However, there were some very interesting points in this uh, in this article, a lot of what we've already spoken about before. So, so you know, this concept of leaky vaccines, like you were just saying, Doug, mm. uh, this concept of, um, you know, this concept of the mRNA um, kind of being taken up by our own cells, not staying in the arm, whereas it's whereas it is supposed to, it's actually going to other organs in the body, and so cells of the other organs are actually generating this spike protein they're transcribing this spike protein um and we've already spoken about a, a lot of this um there are some snippets that we we haven't discussed or that i wasn't actually familiar with it's mm. talking about um the possibility that it, vaccines that contain these this mrna so the pfizer the moderna uh when they are stored um, if they're not stored correctly, and there's a lot of evidence which would suggest that some of them are not stored correctly, because the 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 um, the storage conditions are extremely strict, like mm. really strict. And if 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 there's any variation, slight variation on how they're meant to be stored and administered, then that can like very quickly degrade the 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 uh, the, the content of the vaccine. Um, what this author is talking about is that if they are stored inadequately or inadequately preserved, then what can happen is, is that can cause damage to this mRNA, okay? Now, when that happens is that um, ordinarily our cells, the part of our cells called the ribosome, when that is using the mRNA to translate into, into proteins, to generate the spike protein that we've spoken about on other shows, basically when the mRNA is damaged in any way, which it's highly it's at least theoretically possible that this could occur in certain storage conditions then if the mrna in the vaccines is damaged what that can do is actually block up the ribosome and cause the cells to have to essentially build more ribosome to be able to take up other rna it basically not only the mrna doesn't work but also it, it basically stops how our ribosome works as well so we need to make new ones Okay, damages our own cell cell protein. Okay, and so the problem with that concept is that there are certain cells in the body or certain tissues which have a very slow turnover of these things called ribosomes. One of those is uh, the nerve cell. So, say for instance, in the brain. Now, what he's linking this 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 in with, he's saying that, or the the author is saying, whoever it is, they're saying that okay, you have damaged mRNA that might damage your ribosomes. And if you've got a low ribosome turnover, if that is occurring in your brain, then that is essentially going to mean that your brain cells may be less able to generate proteins. You see, ribosomes are involved in how you make all kinds of proteins. Every protein that you make needs to be made via a ribosome, okay? So if you don't have enough ribosomes because this damaged mRNA is like basically damaged your own ribosomes, then it means that you could end up with all kinds of neurological issues because your nerve cells stop being able to basically function. So indirectly, not only are there the issues with the mRNA production, uh, with the with the spike protein production, in that it's a massive toxin, it's a super antigen 
kind of thing. And it can cause systemic inflammation, which we've spoken about previously. Not only that, but even if you're not making the spike protein, it can still damage your cells to the extent that it causes major neurological issues and major kind of problems with, with your own cells. Um, so I thought that was, that was really interesting. I never really considered like how the storage of the vaccines could affect the actually how, how our body processes it in any way. But he's saying that it just adds another layer onto the potential dangers of getting this, this technology, um, and how it is potentially really dangerous. Um, uh, another one was that he was, he was, he was talking about how these anti-spike protein antibodies. So these antibodies that we're meant to generate to be able to, um, to be able to, uh, uh, have immunity against the coronavirus. Well, it's it, showing there was one study, he, the author talks about one study, which showed that these antibodies also function as auto antibodies and attack the body's own cells. So like we kind of, we were speculating previously, it, it seems as though the studies have actually demonstrated this now, is that you imagine your organs are generating the spike protein and you'll develop antibodies against that. Well, that means you then can go on to actually, um, you can then go on to uh, attack your own cells and potentially your organs. He's talking about how there's there's problems with the, with the actual, um, the immune cells. So, the uh, the mRNA in that the, the way that it's basically being designed is that it generates this um, this spike protein which uh, which is not very well kind of detected by the immune system or it's not quickly degraded um, and so what he was saying is that that can in some way affect the 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 immune cells like actually be taken up by the immune cells. And then um, can stop how your immune system is going to be able to kind of uh, protect against the the virus in the future. If if you come into contact with a uh, with a mutation of the virus or anything like that, um, there's it, it goes into a lot of detail. Um, but essentially, there's a lot of really damning information, uh, like damning research that he's he's pointing to or the, the author's pointing to that demonstrates that really it's a massive risk for people getting this vaccine. And there's so many potential mechanisms by which it could cause serious damage to the human body, uh, including being kind of reincorporated into our own DNA. And they speculate that there may be some people who, who permanently for the rest of their lives now have this artificial spike protein as part of their own kind of, uh, or this artificial mRNA as part of their own genome and that they will continue to generate spike protein maybe for the rest of their lives. And pass it on to their progeny. Correct. Yeah. 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 Indeed. It's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really crazy when you, when you come to think of it like that. Um, yeah. So they are, kind of presenting a wide body of evidence and basically say that this vaccine needs to be stopped immediately. Like yeah. uh, it's a little bit too late now because, you know, what 80% of the Western world kind of thing has already had it. Mm. But um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't have time to go through the entire letter. He, there are other um, sections to it. He does talk about the criminal conspiracy behind everything. You know, all of Anthony Fauci and ties to the Wuhan lab and stuff that the NIH, etc. were doing kind of behind the scenes with the gain of function research, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
also goes into an interesting section that you know we could probably do an entire show on in and of itself, which was uh, the vaccine developments and its links to transhumanism, which is interesting. I don't know. It's it's more theoretical, I think, than it is um, kind of really cut and dried, but um, nonetheless is uh, worth a read. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we're kind of coming up on our time here, so maybe we should kind of cut it short. Was there any other... Um, anything else about the, the Spartacus letter that you guys were burning to talk about? Yeah, this is just a small, small point that hmm. I've heard uh, mentioned here and there. And it's kind of silly, but I'm stupid that way. But um, <laughs> the vaccine manufacturers, under this part section where he's talking about COVID-19 vaccine dangers, he says that it's claimed by the vaccine manufacturers that the va vaccine remains in cells in the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I find that completely unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like anyone who's ever worked in the medical profession, you know that if you inject something into someone's muscle, it doesn't just remain there. That's the whole point of injecting it. So it goes throughout the whole body. Like if you get a B12 shot, you don't expect that it stays right there in your shoulder. <laughs> you get a pain shot, you don't expect that it stays wherever they give it to you. It, you expect that it spreads all over your body. So that's just a very small <laughs> little niggling thing that I've noticed when I've heard that claimed all uh, at various you know, articles uh, since this COVID thing came out. Like when was that ever a thing for any medical professional to think that if you give an injection, it stays there in the shoulder muscle? So yeah, they're making it up. It doesn't as they stay go there. Along. <laughs> it doesn't stay. <laughs> and I think they keep just reiterating the same lines of bullshit to mm -hmm. get people to. It's like you know, um, mind programming. It's upset. Yeah. Like just keep saying it. Just keep saying, oh, it stays in the shoulder. And then people, social media, just keep pushing the narrative and um, controlling the discussion. And you know, banning people. This is all, yeah, let's just keep saying it. Cause you hear, like you were saying, Tiffany, you hear people use very specific terminology, mm -hmm. you know, like trust the science and all that. Like we've mm -hmm. talked about ad nauseum on this show, but it's like, I think the, the mindset is if we just keep saying the same thing over and over and over, people are going to buy it, you know, mm -hmm. because it works repeating the big lie. Yeah. Yeah. It actually yeah. does. The sadly. biggest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They do it because it works. That's basically it. All right. Well, I think that's it for our show today. If you have the opportunity, um, I definitely think you should try and track down that Spartacus letter. Like I said, we do have it on SOT.net. You can also find it just by, if you do, if you just do a hashtag search on, uh, on Twitter, uh, with the hashtag Spartacus letter, you'll find it. Um, it is well worth the read. Long but good. And I think that's it for today's show. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe if you are so inclined. And we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.